I really hate you, man. (laughs) You got sabbatical coming up, don't you? Hello and welcome to X and Y, the podcast where we've been absent for so long that you probably have forgotten about us. But we are here today as an emergency podcast because the world has moved one step closer to movie dystopia. I'm Aaron. And I am Dave, and we totally have to talk because uh, our whole fear in life is the movie dystopia. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You never know when... uh... I mean, we used to have like the nuclear clock or whatever that was where the world was going to end because of nuclear devastation. And people have sort of forgotten about that crap. And um, now we're just sort of, I think it's a clock towards movie dystopia. And it's just <laughs> a question of which, which movie dystopia are we moving towards? We need, uh, we need five clocks. We need five clocks, exactly. Like, what would those, what would those five clocks be? Well, the, we, um, we, I mean, we obviously know that. We've talked about it at length. Maybe not in that exact context, yeah. but... Yeah, we should set up uh, on our website. We should set up five uh, five clocks and have them all set to like four minutes to midnight. I imagine that's how like the original nuclear clock got started. Like just a bunch of physicists sitting around like these idiots watching you know watching people work on these these large weapons. <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna make a joke, and then all of a sudden you know fifty years later, like oh that's some serious <laughs> shit. <laughs> gonna watch the <laughs> exactly, clock. exactly. Oh my gosh! We just um, Isaac and I just watched uh, the Watchmen. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it many times before, but he had never seen it, and it just reminded me because they like the whole point of the movie was the about how close we are to nuclear devastation. So the clock figured predominantly in that movie. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it. What you haven't seen Watchmen? Like, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of movies since I had children, which was a long time ago now. So. <laughs> I don't think well, The Watchmen I, is the one at the top of the list for, holy crap, you haven't seen that movie? That's probably true. <laughs> I mean, I might put, like, Deadpool 2 above Watchmen. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think you'd probably be surprised by the numbers of movies that I don't even, I've never even heard of that are mainstream <laughs> these days. At least I've heard of those. Okay, you've actually heard of Deadpool 2. I've heard of Deadpool I think okay. it stars Ben Affleck. No. Oh my no, no, gosh. No. No. no, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. I like Ryan Reynolds. Yes. So that's why I know that. Yep, yep. You nailed it, man. All right. See, I'm with it. I'm hip. And you can you can watch like um Ryan Reynolds movies on airplanes where Just most Ryan physicists Reynolds? should watch movies. <laughs> you can <laughs> watch almost any movie. <laughs> Not any movie. I mean the latest um quote greatest movies. Like Deadpool 2. Why do I keep talking about Deadpool 2? I don't know. Because you're really 12. Because <laughs> I am 12. Exactly. Oh, I'm exactly 12 times 4. Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, there you go. Yep. What have you been up to, Dave? What have I been up to? Well, I yeah. mean, come on. I'm, I'm in Bella Italia. I'm on sabbatical, man. It's fantastic. Bella Italia. Bella Italia, huh. yeah. I'm living in Padova. I've been here for three weeks or so. I don't know. I've lost track of time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I've been working for roughly two weeks now. And we did some vacationing and there's all kinds of stuff. So uh, I am full on living now. It's like it's like <laughs> normal, except um, I eat a lot more brioche in the morning and I drink a lot more wine at night. Huh. <laughs> That is that is hilarious. And where is Padova? So Padova is thirty minutes by train from Venice. So it's in the north of Italy, not tremendously far from like the Swiss or the Austrian, I guess, border uh, in the north. And Padova is a university town. It's quite a bit larger than Ann Arbor, but I mean the feel is hmm. Ann Arbor esque if you just multiplied by six or so, and then also you know made the city oh. 10 times as old. Um, (laughs) It's a pretty sweet town. It's great for walking. It's, but it's, it's also an Italian town. So there's lots of history. There's lots of buildings, structures, pathways, not so much green in certain areas. 
Um, yeah. Except for where we live, we happen to live by a very nice, uh, a very nice um, piazza that has some grass and trees and stuff, which is cool. Um, oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty sweet. We really really got lucky uh, in terms of where we decided to live because I didn't know anything about the town before we really showed up. Um, my research was done in like a few minutes on uh, Google Maps, uh, and you know I picked a place that looked like it was near downtown what we call Centro here uh, and hmm. something that I could afford. And it worked out pretty well because I'm half, a, I'm less than half a mile from the office and my office is in this old uh, castle slash prison that was built uh, around the year 1000. Um, so every day I get to walk in through the gate and see the big tower uh, that is very, very, very old and climb some cool stairs to get to my office, which has a pretty decent, uh, view of the Alps in the distance. Wow. Yeah, it's okay. I brought Lindsay today for the first time. She had not seen uh, my work yet. And so I brought her today and she's like, y you get to walk this every day. And I mean, like, it's, <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, it's like, it's not like, holy crap, I can't believe you're going in this old castle. It's, you know, it's, it's smallish, but it's, um, I would take it for a permanent residence. That's for sure. Huh. That's crazy, man. That is crazy that you can do that crap. I need to do something like that for my sabbatical. I, I, I highly recommend uh, it. I was in the very nice and fortunate position of, you know, like I could just totally change projects. So I think I talked about my road to get here a little bit. Like I, I just found yeah. somebody that had a desk basically and had a project that they thought that I could be somewhat useful on. It's not really at all related to what I do back home, uh, but it doesn't matter for me because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not important back home. Uh, so I can just pick up and switch pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's nice. I mean, you are, you're important. You're important. Ah. You just, you are important in a different way. Like you have some fluidity in the research that you do. That is true. I do have fluidity. And, yeah. and you know, and anything that I do need to do with like normal collaborators, like it's not like I can't do that stuff here. So right, know, it works out really well. Yeah. So the weird thing is that my my now ex sister in law lived uh -huh. in Vicenza, which is like one train stop away from Padua. Uh huh. That's right. So I actually i've I've actually gone through Padua. I've been to the train station a couple times. <laughs> um, it is a nice train station. Yeah, yeah. Once on accident, I told you about that. I think. Yes, I've heard this story. Yes. Um, yeah, so I've been like right where you are, and uh, it's a pretty nice place. It is. Yeah. I, you know, like the the day we Lindsay started a little like blog for our little adventure here, and so I haven't huh. written much because I've been trying to think about stuff that I want to communicate to. I don't know. Nobody else listens to it, but whatever, or nobody else reads it. And one of the yeah. things I wrote about was like how, you know, I was, ner I, I was nervous. I didn't realize I was nervous, but I was nervous. Like, uh, and I noticed that I was nervous when we were pulling into town, we were with a bunch of friends, um, finishing up our vacation and we were rolling into yeah. town for the first time. And I was like, man, I, I started to feel less nervous. I didn't know that I was nervous, but I started to feel less nervous. And I'm like, well, because I started to see as we got closer to downtown Padova, I'm like this, it looked more and more like I kind of hoped it would. Um, and had the feel that I hoped it would, uh, that, yeah. that sort of feeling that I was looking for in my sabbatical city, you know, walkable, lots of, um, bars slash cafes slash restaurants slash shops, everything really easy to get to by foot. And, and, and so like the first week that we were here, this is a walking city. So we walk a ton and every time I'd leave the door, I'd go in a new direction and I just like have a huge smile on my face. Cause I'm like, this is perfect. It's just so nice to be able to walk around and see different things around every corner, something new, something pretty, something ancient. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just like super ecstatic and just felt really, really fortunate to have landed where we did both for our apartment. And, but also, like I said, for, for work, everything just kind of, man, we, we just got really lucky. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, we're very happy. That's very cool. Yeah, and the boys have settled in. The boys are doing, um, they, we just enrolled them in Italian public school. The first day was like a couple of weeks ago. And after we kind of, Lindsay and I just showed up at the school and we're like, hi, we are bringing our kids. And like, we kind of had to go and convince the principal that it would be okay. 
Um, she kind of right. felt us out a little bit, but it worked out. The boys were terrified the first day when we dropped them off, and then they were totally fine when we picked them up. So, like, that went really well. They're now that's enrolled in, like, a soccer school. So huh. that's going pretty well. Now, oh, so tutu aposto, everything is good. So the TLDR of that conversation is your love and life right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, things are good. You should come out over, Aaron. What are you doing next weekend? I should. <laughs> next weekend. I actually have no plans for next weekend. Hmm. All right, grab a flight. It's a, it's a quick <laughs> nine hours. Yeah, that's, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a, an expensive nine hours, yeah, though. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You only live once. Can't take it with you and all that. You only live once. Yep, that is very true. So in my life, life has changed a, a little bit, uh, but you know, life goes on. Um, <laughs> life goes on. I actually, I actually took a position at work for, um, as you know, I'm like now the associate chair for education in our department. So that's actually taking on a lot more stuff which is one of the reasons why we haven't podcasted very much. I also am now the co-chair for this um, this satellite mission. NASA has a satellite mission that's going to come up, or it, they're planning on it. We're not allowed to say that like it's actually going to happen, but it could happen. And so we're <laughs> specifying like, yeah, for, it's 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 uh, NASA's like legalese. You cannot say that it will happen because. <laughs> Who knows? You Who know, knows? the government could shut down. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they could cancel NASA. You, you never know. So you can't say that this satellite mission will happen. But um, in case it does happen, we should probably have, like, scientific goals for it. And so I am, like, one of the co-chairs for this thing to define the scientific goals for this satellite mission. Um, and that's taking a fair bit of time also. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really an interesting um, process. Can you talk about any of the goals at all, or is it uh, this? This is need to know. Oh, that's a good question. I can probably say like the goals. I mean, in broad terms, yeah, the the goals are basically to um, understand processes in the upper atmosphere. So you know, <laughs> about sixty miles to three hundred miles above the Earth looking at like how the magnetosphere drives that stuff. So, so how the auroral oval, auroral precipitation actually controls the upper atmosphere and how the energy gets input into the upper atmosphere and how that energy is dissipated and propagated and all sorts of stuff. Okay, so that, that, that's a good, I, I think that's a, that's a great overview. So my question is, um, and I think yep. all that stuff's really important, obviously, because it's kind of my field. Um, yeah. But... To me, you just described every proposed mission to the upper atmosphere in the past 60 years. Yes. So, <laughs> so the problem, okay, so you are absolutely right. And this is sort of something that um, the heliophysics division of NASA basically has four regions of space that they study. Mm -hmm. um, so the sun, the interplanetary space, so basically between the sun and the earth, and then the magnetosphere and the ionosphere and thermosphere. Uh -huh. um, so each of those places sort of get missions every once in a while. Um, and the last time the ionosphere thermosphere, we have two missions, one that is just launched um, a few months ago, and one that was supposed to be launched like a year ago, but then is having some issues with the launch vehicle, the rocket. Yeah. I can go into that, those if you're interested, but those two missions are actually ionosphere thermosphere missions. One is looking at um, composition changes and stuff. And the other is looking at like how waves from the lower atmosphere affect the upper atmosphere. Okay. Before those two missions, the last mission that NASA flew was timed which was launched in about the year 2000. And that didn't even come close to the auroral oval. So it has nothing to do with like energy input from the magnetosphere or anything. And then the mission before that was URs, which didn't come close to the auroral oval, didn't do anything with energy input or anything. And then the mission before that was DE, 
which actually did do auroral stuff, and that was launched in 1982. <laughs> so the last time we actually did anything to do with auroral physics and like energy input was 1982. Yeah, but you've got, I mean, to be fair, you've got countless numbers of radars and ionosons and things like that sitting on the ground looking up, don't you? Yes. So the annual budget, so those are all funded by NSF. Okay. The annual oh, budget true, yeah, of yeah. NSF stuff is on the order of like $6 million, $7 million a year to support those type of radars. Yeah. So the NASA mission that will actually look at this stuff is $500 million on that order. So, you know, roughly 100 times more money going into it. Okay, but like how much of that money is responsible for goes towards science? I mean, because like a huge chunk of that is just to get the thing up into space and pay that presumably Lockheed or Boeing or somebody or ULA. That's very true. So a bunch of the money will go to people who develop instruments. Yeah. So one of the issues, there are multiple tangents to go on here. <laughs> um, so one of the issues is that if you don't fund sort of regular missions to certain places like the ionosphere thermosphere then instrument capabilities go away sure so imagine if like a car company were to only make one car every 20 years (laughs) (laughs) then you know it's unsustainable and they basically would just give up the business and a lot of people have basically done that so like ion neutral mass spectrometers no one does those for the ionosphere and thermosphere anymore. And they basically have been sort of reinventing that technology for the ionosphere thermosphere. And actually, the cutting edge technology is probably in planetary. Yeah, I mean, um, that's what I was going to say is every planetary mission ever has had an INMS. So, I mean, the, right. that technology exists. It does. But the ion, the composition and everything is different at the different planets, although that's not. Um, necessarily true i mean sure no it's like the who are the people who made is there an ion neutral mass spectrometer on um maven yeah yeah there's a okay there's ngims uh and ngims is pi by paul mahaffey uh but i don't remember where he's Mm. out of yes but probably in the vicinity of is it goddard Maybe. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Maybe got it. And then, but of course, last runs the thing. So, yeah, it is interesting that there are like certain people who have instruments that basically dominate the field. So, Mahaffey is like the mass spectrometer person. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah, it's probably, yeah. Anyways. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, they're, I mean, like, okay, so Fabry Perot interferometers, every mission that went to, ionosphere thermosphere used to have an a fabry perot interferometer and now i don't think you could get one funded because they haven't been built um in you know 20 30 years 25 years is the last time a fabry perot was flown and nobody builds them anymore so that's sort of sad But, you know, the world moves on. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, like, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, the, I think the biggest stage where people see this is we can't go back to the moon for this reason, right? Or that's, that's, the, that's the line. We don't have the technology right. to go back to the moon because we lost the technology to go back to the moon in order to do yeah. other things, right? I don't know. Right. Okay. And then the other thing is, is you're right that the vast amount of money will go to engineering support some will go to instrument development and stuff like that so that will help with the field but the vast amount will go to like satellite bus providers and launch vehicles and stuff like that but still you're going to have something like 10 percent roughly that goes to science so 50 million dollars roughly that will go to science and if the mission lasts for a number of years you will have guest investigator proposals and stuff and that will really help sustain the ionosphere thermosphere community so i mean i'm going to continue i'll just one more time continue my devil's advocate push yep this isn't a mission to do science it's a mission to sustain the ionosphere thermosphere community and we get a bonus bit of science out the back end wow wow (laughs) 
Maybe that's we shouldn't publish really that. True. That's that's what that's <laughs> kind of like what you're saying though. I mean, you started off with a summary of. I mean, I get there's some need to know stuff here. Well, but your summary okay, so, was the same question that's been brought up for these wow. missions for years, and then wow. you went into justifying it by talking wow. about like heritage and maintaining funding. <laughs> wow. I mean. <laughs> I guess the reason that I'm saying those things is because they're more of the practical point oh, okay. of view where other people, people may not necessarily care too much about the exact science that, that we're doing. Okay. Um, you could really argue that we have been, the ionosphere thermosphere community has been advocating these questions for so long because they haven't been answered. Okay. And people constantly are looking for funding to actually address these questions in some meaningful way. And the only way to address the questions in a meaningful way is to have something like a constellation of satellites and a bunch of ground-based facilities and stuff like that, all this infrastructure. And we don't have that infrastructure. Okay. So imagine, imagine saying like, okay, we want to like discover what DNA, you know, we understand that there is this thing called DNA and uh, oh, this naturally leads into the, the the reason that we're having this emergency podcast. So imagine that we want to look at DNA, but all we have is like this micro uh, this uh, microscope that only has like one hundred times power. So we understand that there is this thing called DNA. We can sort of make it out a bit, you know, and we sort of understand that it's there and it's doing some stuff. But can we really study it? No, we can't really study it. So we just keep asking for better and better microscopes so we can actually really study it. And NASA has basically not given us the better microscopes for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And so we just, it sounds like we just keep asking for better and better <laughs> microscopes because that's actually what we're doing. Yeah. You know? Okay. I mean, I, I, I thought that was the answer in there somewhere, but to me, and, and like, I guess I was being a little bit of an ass. It just sounded like you were you were going in this direction that was I don't know. Let's do this right. because we there's people that need charity. Food. Yeah, well <laughs> Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Um do you wanna do the question of the week before we get to the science? So we could do like Yeah. Sure. How does how does the government shutdown affect us? For <laughs> for you, I don't think it affects you at all. <laughs> I mean, well it did in the smallest of ways. Uh, because yep. of the computer systems that we use were shut down for a little while, which, which had, uh, the tiniest of tiny effects on me for a short amount of time, but they're back up. So I'm good. Everything is, everything is yeah. good now. <laughs> right. I don't even understand why Pleiades is back up. Pleiades is the supercomputer that we use to do simulations. If you go to their website, I think, or they send an email or something, it said, it's unclear as to whether or not this is supposed to be off, so we're just going to turn it back on. Essentially, is what it says. Like, <laughs> like, we don't we don't yes. understand the legal ease of what's supposed to happen, so we're gonna we're gonna push the on button. Yeah, and and I think that in that email it said something about like if you do this type of research, you're really not supposed to be doing that type of research <laughs> during the government shutdown. So please don't run your simulations. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Which is totally awesome. <laughs> exactly exactly i don't know does uh ionosphere thermosphere modeling fit into like um government security and stuff like essential services i think it does i think we need yeah. to know these things we you need I mean, to know come on. over the over the horizon communication is at stake that's we just exactly. go back to that one <laughs> exactly exactly the military would not be able to function without my <laughs> My student <laughs> investigating the thermospheric conductivity. <laughs> See, we're safe. All bases are covered. We are safe. Yes, yes. No one will ever be able to sue me because of this. Oh, my goodness. Yes, for me, it's actually the biggest issue for me is that um, this GDC mission planning that we're doing. There are, mm -hmm. there are a couple of different issues um, that I'm running into. The first is that the GDC mission planning stuff, um, you know, that completely has pretty much stopped because, um, because the way that it works is that in order for us to meet together as a committee or anything, we need to have some NASA person present. Yeah. 
So every telecon that we have, we have to have a NASA person there who is like listening to the conversation and can help us and step in and stuff like that. And um, that person is not actually allowed to work. So yeah. we can't actually have any type of communications at all. Even email is really hard because, you know, they're supposed to be CC'd on all of the emails and blah, blah, blah. And they can't even read their emails. They right. can do nothing. So that is not completely ground to a halt, but it's slowed the progress significantly. For like one reason is that because we're not allowed to have telecons and talk to each other. The other is that half of the committee are, are government employees. And so they're not allowed to actually do any work either. Yeah. <laughs> um, even though I think that they would like to, they're not yeah. allowed to. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, uh, and then the second thing is that no one has any ideas whether like the proposals that are all due within the next two weeks oh, are actually yeah. going to be, we're going to be able to turn those in or not. And so we're sort of moving forward with everything on the assumption that we can turn in the proposals. But like NASA employees actually write a lot of these proposals. Right. And so they're probably going to delay them, but no one really knows. Yeah. Uh, until, you know, like two days before the proposals do, they'll actually <laughs> say like, surprise, hey, we're going to delay this. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every week we get an email that says due date of this proposal submission deadline has been turn to TBD. <laughs> yeah. No one knows. No one knows. Yeah, yeah. we're waiting. I think we, we won um, we won a proposal last year and you know, like at some point I would have expected to be getting an award letter and yeah, who knows when that's gonna happen. Have not. Yeah. I don't know how the people who work there are a bunch of people who work at Goddard Space Flight Center who are actually not employed by NASA but are employed by like universities near NASA. Yeah. And I sort of wonder how that is working because they're like government contractors. Right. So I don't know if they're going to not be paid. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a mess. I mean, and, and like, it's a, you know, we, we should acknowledge that while this has an effect on us, uh, I mean, there are like people that, <laughs> that, you know, need to work to live. And right. Pay yeah. bills. Yeah. And I would say totally screwed. Right, right. The effect on us is basically nothing yeah. compared to everybody else who actually works for the government. Right. It's a complete, it's a complete disaster. Like I have a lot of friends, you have a lot of friends um, who work for the government and they're basically like incommunicado right now because they can't yeah. respond to emails or anything. And they're like just sitting at home, not getting a paycheck. And yep. that must just really, really suck for them. Yeah, exactly. All because... Yeah. Congress won't pay for a wall that wasn't supposed to be, was supposed to be paid for by Mexico or something. I don't know. I'm not paying attention anymore. <laughs> right. It's a wall between Italy and uh, Austria <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. I, yeah, don't, know. I don't know. Something. Something. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It feels like they're like the pressure is mounting. And so something may happen soon. The pressure is mounting on who? On both sides, because people are becoming more and more pissed, I think. I mean, so obviously my politics here play a role, but like I just can't fathom how anybody could be like, oh, you should just fund it. Because you right. know, there's such a small percentage of people that think this is something that should be paid for. But we're going to do it because we have a sociopath driving the bus. <laughs> X and Y, where we talk about politics. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, no, what it feels like will happen is that like the Democrats will start putting in proposals where it's like we will give you money to do border security, but it yeah. will not include the wall. And eventually <laughs> that amount of money is going to grow to the point where the Republicans are going to be like, well, we can't really ignore this, <laughs> you know, is a quote wall more important than actually having better border security. And so if the Democrats say like, we'll give you $10 million or $10 billion for border security with no wall, that's twice as much money as the Republicans are asking for with the wall. And so like, I can imagine a scenario like that where it just becomes sort of ridiculous for the Republicans to say like, 
no, you know? Uh, but, I, I mean, this presumes that it's actually about a wall instead of just about, like, I'm going to get yeah. my way because it, because I have more power. That's very me. true. I wonder if it may end up happening where the Republicans and Democrats actually in Congress come together and pass something with a majority, a super majority, and so it's veto-proof. Yeah, no, that way he could he could save face that way and basically say, well, these bastards in Congress did this and I can't do anything about it. So, you know, that's the way it is. But I'm still going to fight for my wall. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I hope it ends soon. I hope it ends soon. Uh, I don't know. Okay, anyways, so let's get on to uh, more depressing topics. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, why we're actually having this emergency podcast today? <laughs> 40 minutes in and we get to the main event. Yeah, I mean, I saw an article the other day and I don't even remember which paper it was in. I was looking at like world news stuff and it was in some, I think a Chinese paper that uh, like the Chinese government found out that the scientist had gone and broken Chinese law and, uh, and drew some uh, genetically modified embryos and there were twins uh, or there are going to be twins at some point in the near future. And so this was, I think the first case that I'd heard about where there's actually some gene modification done with the purpose of like tweaking traits specifically for these, for these to be born kids and specifically because yeah. like it could be done, yes. which is something we've talked about in the past. And um, I don't know, it was, it was kind of like, wow, it happened. Yeah. It a big moment in X and Y podcast history, I guess. I, I don't, you know, so like it's, it's kind of scary type of this thing. In the article, I talked a little bit about how, like, the Chinese government. This is this is against the law, and the Chinese government was going to do whatever the Chinese government does to people who break the law. And so, I think this guy's going to face some uh, some consequences. And there some were some ramifications. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what that's going to be, but uh, there were some quotes from like other scientists that said, you know, this is good that the government's going to come down on this guy because this isn't something we should be doing. Um, but yeah, but it's happened. It's happened. Your greatest fears are realized. Right. And it was, I mean, to be more specific, I think that there was there was actually one baby that was born already, I think. Okay. And then there were twins that are about to be born or going okay. to be born I soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have missed the one that was born already. And they used, the guy used CRISPR to modify genes to make it so that they are, the babies are going to be immune to HIV, right? Right. I think, yeah, I think that's right. That was the twins, yeah. right? Right. So and it's so, an interesting moral dilemma, right? Like you, you have something right. that maybe is good, you know, like yeah. being a, being immune to certain diseases and maybe something that's desirable. But on the other hand, you know, what are you, what are you afraid of, Aaron? Pandora's box has been opened. <laughs> and, you know, so there are so many issues. The first, <laughs> I guess the first thing is, do you think that the Chinese government is actually like mad about this and will actually do something or do you think that they're basically proud that it was the chinese who actually did this in the first place and like we have technology and we've done something that no one else in the world has done and therefore you know we're gonna slap this guy's hands but really you know not really i, I don't know man i you know i am i am there are many things i'm not an expert on and the Chinese government <laughs> is probably the, the highest point in that know nothing about list. In my head, when I was well, kind it's... of thinking about like what the consequences were for this guy, they ranged from anywhere from like a, a ten dollar fine to like he, you're gonna he's gonna be dead. So and, like he's right. gonna be wiped out. So right. it just you know like uh, it, stories that I've heard, which may or may not have been true, is you know the Chinese government doesn't like people to ignore what they have to say. That is true. So, so I could, you know, I, I can see any range of possibilities on this one. Do you think that there are secret labs around <laughs> the world who are actually doing this type of stuff secret and just labs. not reporting it? I mean, not secret labs. I mean, not like. Uh, Do I think that I there are like people I mean. that are in their labs doing this when they're not supposed to be? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. Um I don't know if it's necessarily with human. I don't. Yeah, sure. Why not? I don't know. Like, there's a lot of people in the world. Probably. There are a lot of people. I mean, there are a lot of people doing some really bad things. <laughs> yes. 
And it seems like you don't really need like super, super, super sophisticated. This isn't like building an atomic bomb. Right. This is technology that a lot of people have access to. Yeah. Right. And the more people that have access to this type of thing, the more there is the possibility that they could do it. Yes, that's, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, so, I mean, I, the question yeah. is, is there a consumer base? Is there a black market somewhere where uh, there's people that want to have this done to <laughs> their potential kids? And, yeah, I don't know about that. Oh. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but so when, one of the questions I had is, right, uh, think about your, your um, it's, uh, what, 300 years ago or so? I forget when the first vaccines were, were invented. A vaccine is yeah. is a is a it's, it's not a gene modification, but it's a way to modify modify your body's ability to fight disease. So if you're back then and yes. you're looking at this like new treatment, how how do you feel? In what way can you kind of talk about this is this is different and there and worse and, huh. and why? Okay, so if you just put in a purely if you just said that like humans are great and they don't ever do anything that is morally bad, then this is a fantastic thing. CRISPR is fantastic. Like we can wipe out any genetic disease at all because we can just edit it out. You know, yeah. it's perfectly great. We can edit out Alzheimer's. We can edit out um, schizophrenia. We can edit out all sorts of things. You might argue that you're getting rid of a lot of the diversity of the population. So this is this then moves into the slippery slope. So you basically say like, we have these diseases, heredic, hereditary diseases that everybody in the world agrees are bad. Like there are no positives for this whatsoever. Uh -huh. You get rid of those. Okay. But then like autism say, is autism always bad? Or do we actually have some people who have been autistic that without their autism, the world would be a worse place? Is that true? I would imagine that it is true. There are people who are like on the autistic spectrum that are really smart and that are really like... Is that due really to their autism? Good. That may be because one of the things that autism does is it makes... It, it helps you or it helps you. I, I don't know how to phrase it, but you have an incredible focus on things yeah. and you like are unrelenting about certain things. And so if you are like, say you want to form an electric car company <laughs> and you are really smart and you are unrelenting because you have like this, you're a little bit on the autism spectrum there and you just can't let things go. And you just keep <laughs> hounding and hounding and hounding. No matter how many people say, like, this is a stupid idea. You will never <laughs> succeed. You just keep hounding and hounding and hounding. You know, would we have Tesla if autism were completely eliminated from the face of the earth? You're making the assumption that Tesla is good for society. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. I don't know. So... I think that you could probably argue that a lot of scientific inventions and things have happened because people on the autism spectrum have been tenacious, you know? Okay, so then I guess my question is, well, what, what happens if you can get a group of people together to figure out, like, uh, okay, these are all bad, we all agree, we're going to use this for these, for to, we're going to modify the genes so that we, we get, we eradicate these diseases. These are the bad ones. These other ones that we can't all agree one agree on. We're going to keep, is there any way that gene editing in humans is, I mean, against my question is, is gene editing an eventuality legal, legal um, genetic modification of an embryo. So I would say that it is an inevitability. I would say that what's going to happen is that, rich people will get access to it and that it will be yet another thing that separates wealthy people from poorer people that wealthy people will be able to edit their babies and you know get rid of diseases and and make them smarter and make them 
have more symmetry in their face and everything. And then it will just create even more of an uneven playing field for generations to come. But you, uh, so, but that, that, that goes, that there is no regulation and there is no like, okay, we're only going to allow it for these things. Do you think it'll, once it's, once we do it, it's just going to be like, okay, you can do it however you want. Ugh, I think, I think that there will be, I, I mean, what you, what you said to pretty much start this conversation is like a black market. There will be a black market. If, if the government says, no, we can't do it then there will arise a black market and it will just be really, really expensive to do it. You may have to travel to Mexico or something like that. Yeah, so and then there will be, but then I'm like, well, wait a second. Like you're going to tell me a whole bunch of like a significant pop population of rich people are going to travel to Mexico to have this thing <laughs> done to their kids. I mean, I find that hard to believe that people are going to hmm. take, you know, something, a sizable risk. Yeah to go do this if it's if it's not okay to do which means it's not going to be regulated which means that like these rich people don't have any assurance that there aren't going to be any issues yeah but do you think okay so i i think that these are just a question of like time scales maybe so time time scale wise you know the first thing is that the government will say like okay we will agree that crispr can be used to destroy these type of bad things and like it's freely available to everybody or not even freely available like we it's it's legal and so then people will start buying it and then what will happen is like shops will form other in other countries and stuff that basically say like okay we'll edit other things and so people will travel to those other places and then there will be like a bunch of rich congress people that will basically say like okay well should we really, should it really be illegal, you know? <laughs> and then it will make moves towards like, okay, let's include some other things. And then more shops will form in the United States that do those other things and there'll be questionable shops. And then a few more years down the road, they're gonna be like, well, everybody's doing it and Big Pharma <laughs> wants money and so we can, you know, if we charge $100,000 to make a unique baby, like that's a lot of money. So we, it should be legal. And, you know, once the companies start saying like, well, this is easy money for us because it's a, a one hour procedure and we can charge them $100,000, like that's huge profits. Give us some money and then it will become legal. Don't you think? Uh, I don't know. That, sound, that sounded real cynical to me. <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, all, all the, again, not an economicist, economicist, um, but, uh, you know, an like economist, economicist. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> um, that's not, but that doesn't t- tend to be how things work. It, the, the, the if companies want to make a big profit, sending an extremely expensive good to a very small percentage of the people isn't the way that they do it. They find a way oh, to send what. What are the most wealthy companies? I mean, Apple. Okay, Google, so companies. Okay, Samsung. So, they're not selling high-end goods. They're sending goods that a large percentage of the population can afford. And so they're what they companies. want to be able to do. What's that? Pharmacy companies, man. Pharmacy I companies mean, are, but they're more interested in ha- having products that, again, I think that everybody can buy either by themselves or via their insurance. And that's, that's the weird thing. Like this insurance yeah. market makes things right. more complicated. Okay. So my sister had cancer uh-huh. and she started taking a drug that was $30,000 a month to take. Yeah. $30,000 a month, which basically bought her about two more months of her life. And so when you start saying things like, we'll prolong your life or we'll give your baby a better chance, people are gonna pay a lot of money for it. And you know, the profit margins on these things are so astronomically large. Yeah. And people people are between like a rock and a hard place. And so well, they'll but, pay but, for uh, it. But your specific example there is, you know, you, there's a difference life between- and death. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a difference between yeah. I have cancer right now versus this is my newborn kid who is under as as much as we can predict going to be completely healthy forever, you know, for a long time. 
All right, let's put this in more practical terms. Let's say that like you knew that Ben was had some horrible genetic disease, which when he turns 40 years old is going to cause him to, you know, have something horrible wrong with him. And it's going to take three years, but he's definitely going to die. And it's going to be a pretty horrible death. Or you can pay, you know, $20,000 right now and have his genes edited or when Lindsay was pregnant, let's say $20,000 to have his genes edited to fix all of that. Uh, Do you envision? I have a lot of issues with that particular scenario. The first of which is, yeah, 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 yeah. well, I mean, cause like you, I don't think it's possible to know with any certainty, any of those things, right? I don't think it's yeah. possible to get that information. Hmm. And then, on top of that, like we already kind of do that, right? You go to the doctor when you're pregnant and they ask, yeah. like, we're going to do all these tests, presumably right. so that you can say, oh, this kid has a, some percentage chance of having down, down syndrome or something like that, right? Right, right. And they know that before the, the kid is hatched. So right. it, we're already down that path. Of, uh, and I don't that remember. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember like how that went because I don't remember the questions that they're testing for and like what the results are. We just, I just remember normal. That's what, like everything is normal. Okay, move on to the next Fantastic. thing. But like, yeah, but what happened? You know, so what's so when we when when Joey and I um, had, I think both of the kids, they basically said, okay, we can do this test for Down syndrome or whatever, and um, would you like it? We were like, okay, so let's say that this test comes back as positive. What happens? And they said, well, you know, really there's only like an 80% chance that it's actually like positive means really positive. And so there's like a 20% chance that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, okay, that's pretty bad. And then what can we do about it if it is positive, positive? They're like, basically you can have an abortion. Right. Okay, so now I remember this too, yeah. And then Lindsay and I said no, because like, we'd like, well, we're not going to go down that path. So we didn't even take the test. Exactly. Right? right, we didn't even take the test. Yeah. But if they had actually said like, okay, you can take this test, there is a, you know, a 95% chance that a positive is positive. And if it is positive, we can do something about it. So you won't have a baby with Down syndrome. Yeah. I think that there would be a lot of people who would actually do that. Okay, of the people that the test was 95% with a yes, maybe I agree with you, but I think that's such a small number of people in the, the whole population that it doesn't make any difference yeah. to, the, no, know, so, to the companies. Right, so to me, it's like, it's like once again, a slippery slope, right? Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's like, it starts with Down syndrome, and it's something that we can fix, and then it moves to like, okay, well, we're checking for... Down syndrome, but we can also test if your baby has blue eyes. Do you want your baby <laughs> to have blue eyes? Yeah, I mean, certainly. Well, I mean, presumably we can. There's a there's a, a future. If not, it's not already here that we can control those sort of things too, right? But oh, can we? I don't know. I mean, if we can edit genes, we've got to be able to get start to be able to tweak the ones that control physical attributes. Oh yeah, yeah. So, no, I mean, this is this is this this is what's twenty thirty years down the road. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah we're going to be able to do that sort of thing. But I that's my, like. but so that's coming right back to my point is that I think that it, the price to do that, should it become legal, like the companies are going to have to make it so that more, a lot of people actually do it. They're not going to make their money off of 10 billionaires paying a hundred grand. They're going to make their money by selling an iPhone to the masses. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I disagree because I think that there will be a big market for it. And I think that there will be, it will be moderately, I mean, to begin with, it's going to be very expensive. Like yeah. it's going to be only people who are like millionaires can actually do it. And then it, it will come down in price, but will it come down in price enough? So people who are making minimum wage, which is almost half the population is below the poverty line. So like, will those people be able to actually afford this? What's the will it be that cheap? Half, you know, people Half who, the world, wait, half the world population? Half, well, okay. So in the United States, <laughs> by definition, half the people have below the median income. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that's not the poverty line. <laughs> 
<laughs> if the poverty line is the median income, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that is really bad. But, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I can imagine that a large percentage of the population will not be able to afford it. To begin with, absolutely. And then the question is, how far down the road will it become affordable to people who don't make very much money? And will it ever be affordable to those people who don't make very much money? I don't well, know. Well, I think that my my thought is that if we get to that eventuality where prices are dropping, prices are dropping, by that time, insurance folds in the ability to edit genes to prevent things like diseases uh, that we're really concerned about. And so it becomes sort of like a vaccine yeah. against certain things. Have you seen... Um the last episode of season three of Black Mirror. <laughs> oh man, yes. It was a long time ago. What, which one was that? So that episode, it folds in exactly to what we're talking about. Like that there are people who um, still have diseases and stuff and the government wants to get rid of all of those people because they could pass those on to other people in the population. And so the proper way of getting rid of the people is just to kill them all. And so they actually have like the military going out and killing people who have, have not been genetically modified to get rid of all their diseases. Man, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, it was uh. basically, I mean, they folded in two concepts. The one was like they have implants where they see people as like zombies and they uh -huh. see these people who have the genetic or don't have genetic modifications as zombies. And so okay. they don't think of them as humans at all. Yes. And so they kill them. I remember that. Um, according to according to the internet, that's not the last episode of season three. Oh, shoot. I don't know. I do remember that particular episode. Yeah, they looked at Yeah, okay. Anyway. That was an episode that I just watched like a week ago. Yeah, that was terrifying. Yeah. Anyways, so because our internet connection is so bad <laughs> and because I still have to actually take a shower and get to work, <laughs> we, should, we should probably wrap up. <laughs> Agreed. So on a scale of one to... Oh, wait a second. Doomsday clock. Doomsday clock or dystopia <laughs> clock. Where would you put uh, CRISPR now? Now that this has happened, where would you put CRISPR? How close to midnight are we on the dystopia clock? <laughs> on the dystopia clock? Uh, I yeah, need a starting like point. What's the starting point? Where were we at yesterday or, you know, last week? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's totally up to you. There, this dystopia clock doesn't exist. So, <laughs> it's totally arbitrary. I mean, basically, it's a, it's a question of like between zero and 60, right? So you're... Zero is like nothing will ever happen. Life is like pure bliss because of CRISPR. And 60 is like it is midnight and the world is ending. <laughs> we are in dystopia movie land. All right. I think, I think that we're – I don't think we're halfway. I think maybe we're a quarter of the way. So I'm going to go with a, what's a quarter of Ooh. 60, 15. So you're, we're at 11.15 right now. We're starting at 11 and going to 12. Okay, we're at 11.15. If 11 is... 11.15. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Okay. I would say we're at 11.40. <laughs> okay. It's a little bit and more we'll scary. And we'll see. So if the Chinese government, if this guy, if this scientist like disappears off of the face of the earth, <laughs> then I would go back to like 11.30. But if like another Chinese lab actually comes out with like more genetically modified babies, uh... I might actually even raise it. Okay, so I don't think that this Chinese guy has anything to do with the clock. I think it's just one dude that was caught Ooh. or like exposed or came out and, and did it. And I think that there are probably other cells <laughs> around. That's probably true. So I, That's I, probably like, true. <laughs> so to me, to me, it's a question of like, how acceptable is it? If the Chinese government says like, this is 100% not acceptable. If we find you, we are going to off you. <laughs> then that is a big dissuader. It's a big but dissuader. if the Chinese government, right. If the Chinese government says like, okay, you're going to have house arrest for a year and then, you know, go back to doing whatever it was that you're doing. That is not like a, hey, we're going to slap you. That is like a, hey, do whatever the hell you want. And, uh, you know, this CRISPR thing. Yay. Yeah, but if, if the Chinese government says that, then all the people that can do it, they could just go, like, 
you know, uh, get in their car and go to Russia. Or, you know. That's that very just true. Just go somewhere else. That's very true. I don't think one country is saying no, no, no. Yeah, I would say the Chinese, China has a lot more resources than a lot of other com- yeah, countries. Yeah, that's for sure. So I think having it happen in China is much more important than having it happen in like some smaller country. I was going to use derogatory terms. I'm not going to use derogatory <laughs> terms. Some small country where basically somebody has moved from some bigger country to try to see if it can work, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without uh, resources. I guess I agree for the most part, but I don't know. I'm sticking with 1115. 1140, man. It's there. It's there. Gattaca is right around the corner. We are, we're screwed, man. Okay. All right. I guess really it's quickly. Good I'm done with having kids. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Okay. Really, really quickly. Uh, recommendations. I'm yeah. going to recommend the uh, Black Mirror episode that I was just talking about. I don't have the slightest idea which season it was. I'm. I, I thought it was season three last episode, but I will check and I'll put it in the notes. I think you're right Um, on season three. And who knows, like, if the episode list I was actually looking at and my one minute of Google searching was correct. So, (laughs) right, right. Okay. All right. What do you, what do you recommend? Yeah. Like, uh, you may remember a while ago, I recommended a book by Mark Lawrence called, I think it was Gray Sister. Uh, and it was about like this girl who went to the convent of the nuns to become an assassin. Um, Hmm. I've been reading another series by Mark Lawrence called, uh, I don't remember what the series is called. The first book is called Prince of Thorns. And I finished that a few okay. nights ago. It was, it was really enjoyable. It was, it was different. It was a, it's a, this is a fantasy, um, fantasy novel, world building novel. Um, but it's different because the protagonist is really like, he's kind of dirty, uh, not dirty, like per, um, uh, perverted, but just like he makes a lot of, somewhat evil choices and huh. it, but justifies it through his narrative because of his life experience so it's kind of like it's interesting because uh you know you're not really sure how to feel about this protagonist which i don't read a lot right. of books like that a lot of the time it's just like oh this person's the good guy and they're gonna they're clearly this is we want them to win but it's a little bit more complicated so prince of thorns by right. lawrence not too bad interesting yeah so i am reading i'm reading the thunderhead oh yeah which you recommended you recommended many, many podcasts ago. Yes. Um, and that's in the Scythe series, Scythedom series or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Scythedom, yeah. By some guy. I'll, I'll put it in the notes. Like, I like it so much that I started to go to bed earlier <laughs> so I can read longer. Yep. But what ends up happening is that I lay down, I start reading, and still after five minutes, I'm yeah, so exhausted that I just fall asleep. This is the problem with liking, with enjoying a book is you're like, oh, I'm going to yep. go to bed. And then you're asleep. I, I totally understand. <laughs> exactly. Ark of the Sky by Neil Schusterman. Yes. Yes. It's really good. Yeah. It's like really, really good. I need to bring my Kindle down and actually read it on the couch. Yes. And maybe I won't fall asleep instantly. This is this is something I've learned in the past few months is to, to not just read in bed, uh, but then like – yeah. There are other issues that raises, but you know, you'll find, find out what those are eventually. <laughs> okay. And I mean, the best place to read is an Italian cafe on a cobblestone road, right? I've not done that yet. The thing about Italian cafes what? is people usually pop, well, people pop in really quick for a, caf- a coffee and then they leave. There's not a lot of people that just hang out uh, in the cafe. Um, not to I say see. that we can't do it, but honestly, though, I've actually been doing a pretty good job of, you know, working uh i haven't played oh, okay. <laughs> so i gotta i gotta work huh. on that yeah really yeah get your act together dave i know go man. out for some coffee some more well yeah for sure anyway all right when do you come back like end of april right i'll be back mid-may mid-may okay mid-May. i have lots of time then plenty of time <laughs> plenty of time if i just if i decide to come back i may just stay <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I will try very hard to uh, come visit you. Fantastic. All right. And can anybody who listens to the podcast come <laughs> visit you? Do you have a big couch? Uh, you know, we could probably figure something out within okay. reason. So like the the four people who <laughs> listen to our podcast could come. <laughs> like my, my mom. My mom is... Uh... <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> Especially if they like to watch children. 
<laughs> my mom loves children. All right, she will be there from March twentieth to. Uh... <laughs> All right, Dave. I will talk to you uh, soon. All right. Good luck with it. Good luck with your list. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'll th- I'll talk to you later. Ciao, ciao. <laughs>